0: Okay, plowing straight on to episode three, in which myself, Dr. Mike Clements, and my colleague, Dr. Mark James, in the Very Clever Doctors Clinic podcast, none of the doctors featured are very clever, uh, talk about our medical training at medical school. We're not sure about how interesting this one is. It seems to be a lot of me reminiscing about being sat in the pub uh, when I probably should have been studying. But it's a good insight, I think, especially if you're thinking of going to medical school and if you've got an interest in what doctors go through in order to become doctors. Uh, Anyway, here it is after our theme tune. So one of the things that people often ask me about as a doctor is how do I become a doctor and what are the steps that you go through and, and there is a perception that you need to be quite clever to be a doctor and we've indeed we've called this podcast the very clever doctor's clinic although none of the doctors featured are in fact very clever correct that's probably not entirely true we're probably being a bit facetious when we say that because you probably do need to be a bit clever To be a doctor. Now, I don't think you do need to be very clever to be a doctor, but you find clever people overrepresented Mm. in medicine. I've met more clever people in this job than I have in any other job. Personally, I think I'm probably quite clever about some things, but I'm a complete idiot about other things. I would hope that I'm reasonably clever in terms of my job, But there are other elements of my life where I am a complete dunce.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Now, given that, you must need to do very well academically at school in order to get into medical
1: school. And that must have been your experience. Uh, That that wasn't my experience. My experience was uh, I was pretty crap at school and I don't come from an academic background at all. So actually I ended up with two A-levels, two low-grade A-levels, predicted two Ds and got a B and a D and a fail. And uh, I sneaked in to do a degree in what was originally marine biology and ended up being applied zoology in the only university that would have me for the only course that I could get on with with those two grades. Uh, I did I did better at university and got a good degree um, and didn't know what I wanted to do and was going to do a PhD didn't get the funding for it at the last minute so when the lecturer said have you thought about medicine because I was interested in tropical medicine and I thought oh okay then so I tried to get in nobody would consider me with the grades uh, I eventually had a single interview at Sheffield Um, by a psychiatrist that was the weirdest thing I've ever had in that he just had a hernia repair so he was all bandaged up it was only him and me he asked me all about my sister and my relationship with my sister nothing to do with medicine at all and I thought this was utterly ridiculous it was just like he was having a bit of a joke and I didn't get an offer it didn't surprise me because I didn't know what on earth he was going on about and it wasn't what I was expecting I wrote to them once a week over the summer for about 30 times saying, I know I did a crap interview, but I'm desperate to get in. Please let me come in. No, 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 no. And eventually I think they got so fed up with me and it was a very poor A-level year. That when the A-level grades came out, they sent me a letter saying, um, I didn't have chemistry A-level, which you had to have to get to medical. That was one A-level you needed. So they said, if you come and do a year's A-level here, then you can get onto the course, which would have made it six years. At the day that that came through, Birmingham, who i previously applied to, they just said no, said, actually, we have some two graduate places. Do you want to come have an interview? Uh, I turned up looking like Shaggy out of Scooby-Doo. Uh, no tie, long, scraggly hair. I was sat in a room with 10 other people, all of which were in suits and had applied for medicine and done pharmacy degrees and physiology degrees, except for, for one person who done a PhD for the admissions tutor. And um, I went in and to a much more expecting... Uh, the norm with seven or eight people sat around a table asking me questions most of them which they seem to be laughing at my answers um, uh, because I thought well I've gotten to Sheffield and I've just heard today who cares so you didn't care the end question was, if you didn't get into... If we didn't give you an offer, what would you do? And I said, well, I'm going to go to Sheffield. And they went all sort of shuffled their papers and looked annoyed and said, well, would you come here? And I said, well, yeah, because you're only five years and Sheffield six years. That was literally how bad it was.
0: Did you say, screw you say, monkeys, I'm going to I went, Sheffield?
1: Sort of, yeah, similar. I think that was the implications. Uh, and bizarrely, the two people that got the places were the PhD person who did the, for the admission tutor and myself, which was completely nuts. And when I arrived at medical school... With no idea what to expect. One of the admissions teachers came up to me and said, you're an experiment, we're keeping a very close eye on you because you're the only person we've had with that chemistry A-level. But he said it in a sort of slightly weird, sinister way, as if I'd sort of sneaked in and, you know, I really shouldn't be there sort of feeling. Do
0: you think there was a trend there? Because you were interviewed by a psychiatrist, and it sounds to me perhaps like they thought that you were in need of some therapy. I
1: wonder if that might have been the case. Certainly on the way I was looking, I think that might have been the case.
0: And so they thought, well, if we contain you at Sheffield, at least we can get you the
1: treatment that you need.
0: Yeah, could could have been, could have been, I'm not sure. And then at Birmingham they said that you were an experiment that they wanted to monitor.
1: Yeah, there's a theme coming through, isn't there, there? So I don't know. But um, anyway, I sneaked in the back door, as in sneaked into university the first time and absolutely hated the entire five years I was with people I had not a lot of, uh, not in common with. Most people were from a sort of medical background. The few people that I got on very well with either didn't pass or sort of really struggled academically, despite the fact I thought they'd make fantastic doctors they were clearly good communicators. And to me, it looked like idiots who couldn't talk and would say the most ridiculous things in tutorials would get straight A's and flew through it all. I, I scrabbled my way through it um, and really wasn't sure if it was for me. Until the day that we started working and then I've absolutely loved it for the majority of my career.
0: So not only is your experience of coming at it from a non-traditional, non-family background, but also it sounds like you didn't have that lifelong ambition to be a doctor, which a lot of people that go into medicine Mm. do have. It's almost like they came out of the womb clutching a stethoscope. And then their future was preordained.
1: Well, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, now to get into medical school, you've got to demonstrate an interest. You've got to have multiple attachments. You've got to have done loads of voluntary work either in hospitals or nursing homes. You've got to get the top grades. And, you know, have got to really demonstrate that you're keen to do it. That wasn't my experience at all. Then I had no idea what I was letting myself in for um and you know just just started but but and and found it a real struggle my original degree i'd really enjoyed this was hard hard work and you it, there was masses of us mm. uh one big cohort nobody particularly seemed interested in you um the you know I, I think we had to do uh science for two years before doing clinical of which i got like an a in biochemistry without knowing any chemistry at all so you, know, you really didn't need to have the grades that they require and that For me now, that's a real bugbear for people going into it because I have a governor at a school and I've seen several kids who've applied who I thought would make fantastic doctors who've gone on to get really good grades but they haven't got in.
0: Yeah, and,
1: and it's nonsense, you know. And there are some medical schools, that's my understanding, that don't even do any interviews, it's purely on their predicted grades or their actual grades and their online scores, which just seems. Ludicrous to me.
0: It's supply and demand economics. For every, at least when I when I applied for every medical school place, they got seven applicants, yeah. and that was not seven applicants who you could immediately filter out. These were seven good applicants, and in actual fact, you probably get to the point at which there's nothing between you, and you may you yeah. may be just as well rolling a dice and yeah. choosing choosing which one. You need to get a seven Absolutely. sided dice, which would be challenging, but you could just choose them randomly and probably still get the same outcomes. Now that's changed a little bit because there's this aptitude test, isn't there? There's the mm. MCAT that you that mm. you need to do, which mm. I think is a way of trying to formalize that away from a dice rolling selection because the interview that you went through has terrible validity and mm. there's lots of stuff about diversity in leadership teams because we tend to select people that are like us mm. to work with us and i think that is how we ended up through the 70s and the 80s and before with white middle class males mm. working in medicine because white middle class whales whales
1: whales whales. that would be interesting that it, would be an interesting
0: consultation wouldn't it um as they tried to bottom feed you, although I have met doctors, um, that that we ended up just selecting people that were like us. Mm. And you and I are different because my experience of going to medical school is actually quite similar to yours in many ways. I left school with terrible school-leaving grades, and I'm from Scotland, so our, our education system slightly different, so we do higher. So that, was,
1: that was quite an achievement then. What to to, actually, to have poor grades from Scotland because you know they you know, it's a quite a good education system.
0: They have an excellent education system, which I entirely squandered mm. in my teenage years, good. Um, and left with like you. I think I had I, think I had two C's and a D, which maybe in in your currency or the 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 currency that's, that's in England doesn't doesn't seem quite so bad, but in Scotland that is appalling. Mm. Um, and like you, I managed to blag my way onto a psychology degree, which I was interested in doing. Although I was even at the time interested in doing medicine. And after I went and did the psychology degree, which I enjoyed well enough actually, mm. and did like you, once I was being treated like an adult, did really quite well mm-hmm. and did you know got a good grade on, on that medical de- on that psychology degree, and then used that to ultimately negotiate a way Onto a medical degree, um, I, 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 w- a new medical school. It was we were the first year to go there, and I was attracted to it mainly because they were the only people that offered me a place, but also because which
1: always makes somebody very attractive it, when there's the only option. It
0: is, yeah. Um, it's where I met my wife mm. and she would tell you that the pickings when we met was, was pretty mm. slim, which is how mm. she ended up with mm. me. Um, I think she had her time over again. She might reconsider that. So, yes, you're right. There is something about only having having one option. and But putting that aside, they were very innovative in the sense that they wanted to select people based on merit mm. and they tried to do it in a reasonably robust manner. So what we ended up with was two thirds of the year out of 100 students two-thirds of the year were graduates or and or mature students Mm. and only a third were school leavers so it was a really
1: that's unusual isn't it and that would have been quite innovative at the time i would imagine
0: yeah and it's never been replicated so this there's this thinking that perhaps there was an unmet need there was lots of people Mm. like me wandering around wanting to do medicine but couldn't get away into it and then they popped up and said like we don't care how old you are as long as you, you've got the grades, the, you know, you've demonstrated you can academically do this and you're the right type of person, then we'll have you. And, and unlike you, probably because of that demographic, because of the people that were on that course, I loved my medical degree. Mm. I thought it was fantastic. Mm. But I was a real agitator at medical mm. school. I, really, I managed to piss everyone off. I, you so know, no change then? No. I was about to say, yeah, absolutely no change between then and now and because they i think they were trying to find their feet as a medical school as well we're trying to find our feet as medical students mm. uh, we you know we and we were a, we we were a very uh, i think we were slightly arrogant as a cohort uh, we were certainly very demanding and in fairness to the medical school they were good at kind of trying to flex mm. stuff to fit
1: us but the graduates make very good doctors well actually I think so. and interestingly Non-science-based graduates, uh, when they've done sort of studies follow them over years, tend to make Mm. the best doctors. And
0: you and I, I think, would prove that Mm. rule as graduate doctors. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Many would disagree, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. But my fondest fondest memory as a graduate was being able to blag my way into the graduates' bar, Mm. because they're the undergraduates' bar um, where the beer was more expensive. And we came to realise that if you could get into the graduates' bar... A pint was I think ten pence cheaper than it was downstairs, but you had to be on a graduate program of study, which we weren't, of course, because we were doing an undergraduate program. but we managed to being older mm. and slightly more argumentative, we managed to blag this. so every uh, friday we'd go we'd just go for one after mm. after we were doing a Friday. but then we figured out that we could get the local takeaway places to deliver food to the graduate bar <laughs> and over the course of the program more and more of these takeaway menus started to infiltrate their way into the graduate yeah. bar so on a friday you just think well we'll go for one uh now we finished this hard week at uh, medical school and inevitably it wouldn't be one would, you'd have one you think well we're here now we might as well have some food and mm-hmm. to roll roll into the house at kind of one or two in the morning so very very fond if not particularly health conscious mm-hmm. uh, memories of being at medical school but that doesn't detract from the fact that it was incredibly hard work Mm. and there is this perception there's this stereotype that medical students work hard but they also play Mm -hmm. hard and I must admit from my personal experience I'm not sure I've seen anything that would detract Mm. from that they are a bunch of boozy loud obnoxious people Mm. but they're often having a very good time
1: Mm. And the other thing is that it's an awful lot of training after you've qualified. So people don't realise the extent of training to then become a GP or a specialist. You're talking at a minimum of another five years after your five years of medical school. And for most people, they've done a lot more than five years.
0: Do you not think that that training, you're absolutely right, is a very long road. And I've heard it described as a marathon, not a sprint. Mm. But those five years that you do as a medical student especially as a school leaver. You know, you and I did it a wee bit older mm-hmm. and had perhaps a little more life experience under our belts. not sure that made me any wiser.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure I've, I've ever had any life experience of any significance, really, to be honest.
0: Or any wisdom. Mm, that
1: is certainly true. For that matter.
0: The The training is bizarre. You know, the, the things you get exposed mm. to are just seemed odd to me. I remember the first time I went into the anatomy lab and I thought, I'm going to be dissecting mm. a dead body. Was my, I think it was probably the first time I'd seen a dead body mm. in the anatomy lab. And just what a surreal experience that was. But it wasn't lost on me, even at the time, mm. that this was an odd thing to be doing. But I was probably knocking on 30 at that point, uh, or certainly my late 20s. But I'm looking around at, essentially, kids who are 18, 19, in the same boat, and thinking, gosh, that must be you're being asked to do a lot at a young age. Mm. And I, I guess I was, I was generally impressed, though, that they, they, they worked up to that. Because you know, I'm not sure I could have done that at that age. Mm. I think I needed that additional experience to just understand sometimes the gravity of what you're doing.
1: Mm. And, and and don't you feel that the job reflects that because I find no other job where people will come in having met you as a complete stranger and tell you some incredibly intimate problem, difficulty, life experience You know, I've, I've, I've had as you will have had and m- many GPs had experience where people literally sat down in their 40s and 50s and said I have an abusive background, I've never told anyone, what do I do now? You know, I mean, it's extremely uh, privileged and unusual job to be exposed to this extreme, bizarre range of um, life experiences that people have had, and expect you to come up with answers, helpful solutions. And I think young GPs find this really difficult, mm. you know, because they have relatively limited life experiences, and to suddenly be confronted by a forty, fifty, sixty-year-old with an extremely difficult problem or you know a social problem or something from the past to deal with and expect you to come up with solutions and and that is quite hard to train i mean i have had registrars who came very confident full of knowledge lots of medicine who sat down and the first patient that came through their door was a young 14 year old with a mum and said i'm not leaving this room until you tell me whether she's a virgin or not and he was expected to be able to deal with that and that's the sort of things we're exposed to on certainly on a regular basis as gps and expected to come up with solutions and have things to offer. she didn't think that the registrar was in any no way, no cause... I don't think, no no I don't think that was although it's you know that's that has rarely happens,
0: yeah we're going to talk about complaints uh, yeah. at some point um so you, yeah, you're quite right that. And, and we did a lot of general practice at my medical mm. school from quite early mm. on and quite consistently through my training. And I know that, that that's more common now in medical training as well, but there is still something quite sanitized about most of the medical training that mm. you do, certainly at university, that that we we almost dehumanize a lot of our patients, don't we? Because we stick them in a gown that usually doesn't have anything mm. to cover your arse at the back. So it's immediately... Quite uh, diminishing for the person, and then we interview them and ask them very direct questions, and that's very different to later in your career, especially as a community doctor or family physician, where people come and see you and you see them in their natural habitat, mm. or we go out to their house and, and literally see them in their in their own habitat, and yeah, I don't think a lot of medical training prepares you well for that and
1: experiences like you've talked about and I think certainly so when I was training I think we had in five years we had four weeks of general practice two weeks in an inner okay. city and two weeks at a at a moral practice and that was our entire exposure to general practice
0: and did you have in your medical school did you have big end of year exams was yep. it because it boom,
1: boom or bust at the end of the year yep so you would have exams in the five sort of major subjects at the end of the five years as well as uh, you know, exams ongoing from start to finish. I mean, every two, three, four months, there was some sort of exam, usually MCQs, and then major exams at the end of okay. it. Um, and, and it was very different, though. So the training was two years would have been purely science-based and in classrooms, you didn't see a patient, and then three years clinical, whereas actually the, the training is, is different now.
0: Yeah, and um, there's very few places there still exist um, where you have a very distinct split between mm-hmm. doing the kind of academic what used to be called the preclinical phase that you spend a couple of years in a lecture theater before you then get to see patients for the last three years of training and that is much more integrated and that was certainly my training it was mm. the, that split just didn't exist it was no. all mixed up uh, right from the beginning um through a to a process called problem-based learning which mm. is far too dull to go into here i mean it was dull to go through it it's even more dull to explain um, but we very much had a system of continual assessment. We didn't have this big boomer bust at the end uh, or continual harassment as we uh, described it because you were just constantly bombarding. And I think I sat down and totted it up and, and worked out by the end of the medical degree, I'd had something like 175 separate mm, assessments. Yeah,
1: it sounds about right. It just,
0: just an incredible amount of workload. And this, the, I heard the statistic bandied around once that if you try and quantify it, that doctors have something like two million individual pieces of medical information floating around in your head it sounds bollocks that Mm. statistic because how could you possibly quantify that but i think the gist of it is good that you you do just assimilate an incredible vast amount of knowledge and of course you get to the end of your medical degree you think oh God, that's great you Mm -hmm. walk across the stage you shake some geezer's hand that you've never met before and it turns out to be the university chancellor uh, and they're very proud and your mum and dad may be there and they're very proud as well and then you think "Oh, that's fantastic i'm now a qualified doctor and you have no idea what's about to happen so it sounds like I had a very positive time at medical school but you had a very miserable time at medical school Uh, and I think we'll stop there before we start talking about our junior doctor experiences because I think they were very much the opposite I had a thoroughly miserable time as a junior doctor and I think you had a very positive time Mm. as a junior doctor but it's probably too much in, in one episode to talk about the entirety of our training That's the end of episode three then Truth be told, we're not sure quite how interesting this one was, uh, but we recorded it, so there it is. The next one will be better, trust me. I know this because we've already recorded it. Uh... Our music was supplied uh, by Anthony Walters at Cinephonic, so thank you again for that. And our graphics were done by Charlie Horn at Flaming Pumpkin. Uh, I was the producer on this, Dr. Mike Clements, and my colleague Dr. Mark James contributed, and this was a Sabre Media production. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for next week. It is better.